So the these five groups, I, I had a hard time coming up with a name for it. The two out things I thought of were either Jeremy Manifesto <laughs> or Streetlight Meth- Messer Smith. I think that's when I which which of those two do you like more? Streetlight Messer Smith or Jeremy Jeremy Manifesto. Manifesto. <laughs> Jeremy Manifesto is pretty good. It is. It sounds kind of interesting, but it sounds like like joke communism or something <laughs> like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I kind of like both of them. Um, yeah. Could try to Jeremy Streetlight Manifesto. Maybe I'll just have to flip a coin because I'm looking at the other ones and there's no like similar letters. Animal Collective, they might be giants. Yep. Helios. I guess I could do like the Manifesto be giants, <laughs> <laughs> or Streetlight might be giants. Hmm. I might do Jeremy Manifesto. That one's growing on me. I do kind of like that one. All right. Anyway. Uh, hello and welcome to episode 21 of Shuffle. Please make sure to listen to the five songs that we will be discussing in this week's episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube playlists can be found in this episode's description. And if you guys haven't gathered already, we are sitting with a brand new voice in Shuffle. I'd like to welcome Chance Meyer. Hey everybody. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be here and I feel such an honor. I'd like to thank uh, my parents and uh, uh, I'm gonna have to yeah. start playing the music soon if you don't hurry this oh, up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's 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 all. Uh, Chance is one of my oldest and dearest friends from back in Minnesota. We've known each other since first grade. Yep. And we are both 27 years old now, so you guys can do the math about how long we've known each other. He's visiting us out here in Pennsylvania right now. Yeah, and he's going to talk about some music-y things with us. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to put you on the spot, but I guess what kind of music do you usually find yourself? What, what's your musical tastings and stylings? Uh, not that there has to be any. I guess it's fairly broad on a whole. I try not to... Lately, I've been trying not to say I dislike or like certain genres, but obviously there are trends and patterns. So I would say... Um, Normally, I listen to a lot of like alternative and like indie and uh, I guess pop punk is a, a genre I hadn't yeah. really thought of until recently, but that kind of actually encompasses yeah. a lot of what I listen Mike to. Mike Chromance, The Used, yep. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, it has been eight episodes since our last ICP incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was curious. I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but like, what are your thoughts and feelings on the Insane Clown Posse? What do you, uh, do you even know anything <laughs> about them? Or I know a little actually. Um, I do remember. It feels like ages ago, like being in your basement and occasionally listening to a song or two. Yes, yeah. I know. For felt like a very brief period of time, you did listen to them. Yeah, for about four months and yep. that's how the six albums ended up in my library and they've just been sitting in there staring at me since waiting, then waiting to pop up in the podcast yes huh? just waiting yeah. but uh uh yeah i don't know i know um not a whole lot i know their kind of fandom is an interesting thing to <laughs> say the least uh read about and hear about but uh 
yeah i don't know uh it was never really my kind of music i've never been one for the very violent and well it sounds like you made some wise decisions in your life <laughs> yeah if they haven't if you haven't crossed paths with the icp i've known a couple juggalos but yeah yeah and i feel like you know it's like every day when you log into facebook it's like russian roulette of like which obscure person from high school became a juggalo now because there are a couple in my feet at least yeah that have fallen down that dark dreary path dark path the dark carnival path which is their name of the first album the dark carnival at least they're going someplace that's still <laughs> <laughs> you're too nice all right let's Let's wander on over to the Kanye News Corner. Uh, Kanye recently announced this big partnership deal with Adidas. I think Dominic talked about it a few episodes ago. It's being billed as the biggest ever between a non-athlete and an athletic brand. And they're actually looking to hire people to work on this new project. Uh, The company wants to make Yeezy-branded footwear, apparel, and accessories for all genders from street to sportwear, and they are currently hiring 17 positions in the Portland area. So, if oh. you ever wanted to work with Kanye West, Look, move out to Portland. Looks, yeah, it looks like I'm moving to Portland now. I mean, how, how much to pay? You know? uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. You can. I'll, I'll link to it. You can go on the website and fill an application form. <laughs> I mean, it. It looks like pretty standard stuff, like footwear specialist footwear sales manager like yes. i i don't know if you will actually get to meet and or work with kanye but you will get to work with and on products he's putting out with adidas i guess i, I mean hey this sounds right up my alley though i wear shoes every day so that's perfect for you <laughs> you know i was gonna i didn't want to bring out because i didn't know if you'd be interesting about it but how did you start wearing shoes uh, well, I don't know. My parents just kind of slapped them on my feet when I was a kid. Oh, so your, kinda... your parents forced the foot, really? the, the, yeah, the footwear lifestyle on you. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just. You haven't questioned it. You're just, <laughs> just sticking with it. Yep. Running strong. Seems to be working out all right. So. Yeah, I mean, your feet are okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. I, I don't know what it's like to have my feet be trapped all day like that. Well, you know, I, I take them off in the evenings, so. <laughs> They get a little breathing room. So is is it kind of like when people fast for holidays where like you can't eat from sunup to sundown, but your feet need to be covered from sunup till sundown? Yeah, that sounds about right. And then yeah. they can roam free like werewolves in the moonlight after mm-hmm. that? Yep. No. And they even grow more hair at night and howl. Well, that's, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't need that image in my head. <laughs> uh, okay, and so this is this next news story, which is part of the Skrillex saga is something that I think you'd be interested in. Now, this is not really music-related, but I figured, since the Skrillex saga is a reoccurring segment on this show, and the fact that you were on this show meant that this was meant to be talked about. Okay. So, I don't know how much you know about Martin Shkreli. Do you know anything about him at all? Is he the the drug guy? That, yes. Yeah. The pharma bro who like increased the AIDS medication sale by like a bajillion nine hundred percent or whatever yeah i know a little bit about it i haven't like followed him since that yeah so the reason why he's became become a reoccurring segment on this is he's kind of jettisoned himself into the music world Mm -hmm. by trying to acquire music memorabilia such as uh 
the deceased Kurt Cobain's old credit card. He bought it online because okay. he's super rich. And like, there's this hip hop collective called the Wu Tang Clan that yep. recorded this one of a kind album called One Night in Shaolin. There's only one copy of it, and he bought it for like $2 million. And he won't let the world listen to it, and keeps threatening to destroy it. And he keeps getting into beefs with like Ghostface Killer, who was a member of Wu Tang Clan. And he's also like super into emo and uh, post punk music. And like, he, there was this band called Thursday. And they had a record company called Eyeball Records, and they were about to go out of business. And then Martin like donated a bunch of money to it to save it. But then after the whole AIDS medication thing came out, the band Thursday was like, we don't really want to be associated with you anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then recently he just announced that his next venture is he's going to become the next big MMA fighter. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I heard about that. Yeah. One. yeah. So now he's announced his next next venture, which is collecting rare Magic the Gathering cards. Oh, no. Uh, just the other day, he took to the Magic the Gathering subreddit and asked advice about how to collect rare cards and introduced himself as a new and wealthy player who collects wine, art, and other goods and was asking for advice on how to acquire rare cards for his collection. Lovely. Uh, many of the members of the subreddit are embroiled in a huge debate, especially over, are you familiar with the Magic's reserved list? Uh, I've heard of it, but... No, so not, it, not so it it's basically it's this list of five thousand cards that Wizards of the Coast says will never be reprinted yeah, ever okay. again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people are in this huge debate right now about whether he should start tackling this list. A lot of people are against it because due to the rarity and price point of these cards, they are unobtainable for most Magic players. But for yep. this rich fucking asshole mm -hmm. guy, he could just easily buy them all. Yep. But at the same point in time, a lot of people also think it would be a good idea because if, if he were to start scooping up and buying all these rare cards, it might force Wizard of the Coast to consider reprinting them due to the insane demand and lack of access to them if he were to acquire all of them. Uh, I could see that maybe becoming a thing. I don't know, cause uh, yeah, I don't. I just had this feeling that they wouldn't like buckle to that, especially sure if, especially would. if one guy was just like, I'm gonna take all these cards and no one else can have them. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they've claimed they're never gonna reprint them, they probably don't care about those cards anymore. I mean, but I've heard tons of companies, especially game companies, say like, we're never gonna do this, and then a year later, oh, I guess we lied, we're gonna do well, this, you know? and I guess maybe they, they could also be argued that they're doing it just to create a demand for it. True. But I also feel like these rare out-of-print cards at this point, none of the profits would be going to Wizards of the Coast. They'd be just players buying it from other players. Unless they reprinted them. Yeah. yeah. Supposedly, his biggest infatuation with these cards is specifically the Black Lotus card. Okay. Which, as of nine hours ago, he tweeted that he's already acquired five of. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be... Is he trying to go for all I of think them? I think... He hasn't... All, he he literally like he posted that status yesterday mm -hmm. and then nine hours ago tweeted that he's already gotten five black lotus there's he hasn't said like whether his goal is to get every single one of them but knowing this guy yeah uh, are you familiar with the term heel as in in old professional wrestling the heel was like the villainous guy that would make the audience hate yeah. him mm-hmm 
So he has gone on record saying that he wants to be the heel of the hip-hop world, which is why he keeps burning all these bridges with hip-hop people. Like he wants to be this bad guy that pisses everybody off. It would not surprise me if he were to try and acquire every single Black Lotus card for the simple enjoyment of denying everybody else access to the Black Lotus card. So he's going to, and and forgive me for going off the nerd deep end a little bit here, no, but he's going to be like Seto Kaiba with his yes. three blue eyes white dragons, yeah. and he's going to take the last one from Yugi and be like, now that I have it, I'm going to rip it up so no one can have them. Exactly. That is that is this guy's shtick. I mean, kind of amusingly enough, that's why they're so rare in the first place. Do you know the story behind I don't why? even know anything. If you want to inform myself and the listeners, I've heard of the Black Lotus card, but A, I don't know what it does, and B, I don't know why it is so rare. So the Black Lotus was an artifact that cost nothing, and you put it into play, so it's like a free artifact, and all you have to do is sacrifice it, and you get three mana of, I think, any color, or at least three, like, generic mana. Sure. So... The idea is, is it's a huge, like, if you happen to have four in your deck, pretty good chance to have it in your opening hand. It's a huge boost to your, like, tempo. You, you instantly know? start out with like, a lot of resources yeah, to spend. great boost. Well, they did this thing, I think it was called the Iron Man tournament or, like, something like that championship back in the day, where if you sacrificed a card, you had to tear it up. Oh, really? So so a lot of these guys I mean, torn. Okay. Yeah, this could be like, I could be getting my facts slightly off, but basically why they're so rare is people used them in these tournaments and then ripped them up. So there's so a they, small quantity of them Yeah, left. so that drove the uh, supply way down for these cards, and they're not going to print more of them sure. because they're really unbalanced. So they're this, like, and I, I think they haven't been printed since alpha or beta or something like that since like one of the so first that was like couple sets. back in like the 70s or 80s almost yeah jeez so they're old they're rare and i find that ironic because now he's gonna take them all and rip them all up. i don't know <laughs> just finish the job that people did a long time ago you know well, started but. there you go Shkreli. i i should also mention in this article i read also falling within your realm of interests he also last year, I guess, spent like thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to form the ultimate League of Legends amateur team. <laughs> like he spent yeah. all this money trying to hire mm-hmm. players to like create this team and they didn't even like place anywhere in like the tournament or whatever, but he tried to buy his way into being in the top ranks of League of Legends. Was he going to be one of the players? I or? don't know and honestly it wouldn't surprise me if he just paid people to play for him i don't know if he actually plays or not just be like the team manager exactly we're getting to the top because for him it's not it's not about enjoying the album one night in shaolin and it's not about enjoying a game of magic the gathering it's about this is what i have and you don't have that's why he increased the price of the AIDS medicine. It's like, this is what I have and what he likes denying people things. So he's like literally the like rich playground bully that has all the stuff and doesn't let yeah. any of the other Yeah, and he won't be happy it. until like there's a cement wall built around the playground and he's in there standing by himself looking at everybody. Actually, it would have to be a clear wall because he wants to see everyone like with their noses pressed up against the glass crying about not being able to play on the playground. Oh, man. This guy is just the... He sounds like just the worst. Piece of fucking work. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to other music news. Uh, So the... Have you heard of the Flaming Lips? Yeah, I've heard of. So the Flaming Lips, who... This isn't their first venture into selling consumable products. For a while, they were selling, like, 
hundred dollar gummy things. Mm-hmm. Like they were selling like life size gummy skulls with okay. USB sticks in in the middle that you'd have to get to to get to the music, and you have to eat through the oh. gummy to get to it. Or just you know rip it apart. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But these gummy, they were like thousands of dollars. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I guess when you make very large gummy things, they get expensive. Like those giant gummy teddy bears, bears yeah. are like a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's just getting that much gelatin in one location is hard to do or I, I don't know. I imagine a lot of the price there is just like, look at this weird thing we Gimmicky. made. Gimmicky. Yeah. So they are starting to sell their own brand of whiskey. Okay. Which will be going for $125 a bottle. And it's called Brain Vile Rye Whiskey. Wayne Coyne, the lead singer and frontman of Flaming Lips, had this to say about the product. Whiskey. It's such a volatile drink. Upon pouring a drink, it's like accepting that you may become a werewolf. And really, who doesn't want to become a werewolf? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, in the realm of expensive whiskey, $125 isn't actually that uh, that much. Yeah, it didn't sound like terribly crazy. As like I don't, I, I I don't know how long it's been aged or anything yeah, like that's, that. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, did they start this like idea 15 years ago? I I doubt it. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's it's like a limit a limited run. I think there's only like 5,000 bottles being made. Oh man, how are you gonna get your hands on that? I don't know. Actually, for 125 bucks a limited run that might not be even if it's like awful yeah no that's true i mean i it'd be worth looking into it really isn't that much compared to like how expensive alcohol can get Mm -hmm. at times yeah let's see what else do we have uh a shirt with john lennon's blood on it just sold for forty thousand dollars oh i i guess when john lennon was fatally shot in 1980 a Consigueur at the the hotel that he was shot in front of named Jay Hastings rushed to his aides mm-hmm. and the white button-down shirt he was wearing became soaked with Lennon's blood. Mm-hmm. And recently at an auction, it was sold. Uh, the starting price was $9,000 and mm-hmm. it rocketed up to 40000 The shirt also came with a, sa- a signed copy of the album Double Fantasy, a typed letter from Yoko Ono that was addressed to the apartment staff thanking her after the horrible event, a Thanksgiving card signed by Lennon and Ono, and a Rolling Stones article featuring uh, Jay Hastings, the man whose shirt is covered oh, okay. in the blood. Yeah. Hmm. So That's a little creepy. Yeah, it, I... Some people just have no tact when it comes to what they think they can make money off of. Yeah, I well, I mean, I, I can't remember how many episodes ago it was. Actually, it was two episodes ago. You haven't, it hasn't been put out yet at this point. Ooh. But recently, uh, a lock of David Bowie's hair just sold for like a ridiculous sum of money as well. Yeah, it's a, a less, a little less weird because it's not blood, I guess. Yeah. But, but still, it's like. A piece of a dead guy's body. I, I want to know if uh, these t- these two auctions are related. Maybe there's some sort of underground so, collective. I bet Martin Shkreli is the one that's buying these things. I don't know. I, I have a feeling we're gonna get like a like a Jurassic Park esque. They're gonna like combine the DNA with like frog DNA and make <laughs> remake John Lennon and David Bowie. Dinosaur David Bowies. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowieosaurus yeah. and John Lennon Opteryx. <laughs> John Lennon Rex. 
and then uh, and then they'll create a park with giant famous dinosaurs. giant dinosaurs that have personality and similar features of dead famous musicians. I guess I don't know, but really, it's just people being weird. So a little light on the music news today. Is there anything you've been listening to lately that you'd like to talk about or share? Or um, any it can be anything. Even I, be a podcast. I really want to go uh, see Suicide Squad, not because I think it's going to be an amazing movie, but because uh, if you've been listening to the radio lately, 21 Pilots released a new song, Heathens, yes. that's going to be part of the soundtrack, and it's just been an earworm in my head for like the last like three or four weeks I actually since it haven't, was released. I haven't listened to it yet. I've, I saw a post about it, and I... I do like I don't know a ton about Twenty One Pilots, but I do really like their "Tearing My Heart" song yep. a lot. So I, I'll post that song so our listeners can check it out. I mean, I'm I'm also really excited for that movie as well. Yep, I do I do like the song. It's 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 pretty catchy, I would say. Um, I think they're touring this summer. They are, and they're gonna be in Minnesota, which doesn't work doesn't help you, but well, actually, me, but... they're coming to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh which is about an hour and a half from here, I believe, in August or something like that. Yeah, they're going to be in Minnesota in August, too, I think, or early, maybe early August. I might have to... I don't know if I'm going to shell out for tickets to that. But well, it might be worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Recently, Ticketmaster just lost this big lawsuit, and they, like, owe everybody free tickets to concerts now. Oh, yeah? And it, it's a very specific list, but you can go on their website and see which tickets you can get free tickets to. Huh. That might be one of them. It might be worth I looking should, into. I should look. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of interesting because we were at work in our work truck driving home from the work site, I think, when the guy on uh, the uh, Minnesota's alternative station... Um, said like i just got this i don't know anything about it except for it's it's uh 21 pilots and it's a new song from the suicide squad album and he's like so i'm gonna play it i don't know it's gonna sound kind of rough because it's on my computer and i thought that was kind of neat that he didn't have like special shipped copy or something like that <laughs> yeah. but uh but so he played it and i liked it and um we were kind of weirded out though because not 20 minutes later he played it again and like i didn't really care but like two other people in the truck were like oh my god he's playing that again already this radio station sucks so and then i proceeded to go home and listen to it like three times in a row so but i'm that kind of person i like to listen to music over and over again if i like it until it shakes out of my head and i don't feel the need to anymore gotta do what you gotta do yeah let's see what i i recently just listened to the new blink 182 album and Meh. <laughs> I, it's not something I have to go rush and check out. No, I I really like Blink-182, but at some point, I feel like you gotta let it go. When did they put out their last album? Not the newest one. But. So, Neighborhoods mm-hmm. is their second most recent album, and I believe that came out in 2012 or 2013. Okay, so not that long ago. Yeah, but then before that, there was a, a big gap. Yeah, that's what I thought. Between the, their self-titled Blink-182, which came out, I want to say, in the mid-2000s, 
and then they kind of split off and did their own things. Then the band came back to put out Neighborhoods in the early 2010s. And then now two-thirds of the band came back together and Tom DeLong is no longer in the band. Okay. And Matt Skiba from the band Elkline Trio has replaced him. And they put out this new album called California. And it's not bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like... Not what you were hoping for? Well, you know, Blink-182 kind of had this shtick of like these young skater punk dudes running around and being naked and causing a ruckus. And now they're (laughs) like dads with kids. And in their defense, most of the songs are them kind of singing about like aging and Mm -hmm. not feeling relevant anymore and having kids. But it's just, it's really like sterile, like antiseptic. It's it's so clean and overproduced. There's like, Mm -hmm. it feels plasticky and Mm -hmm. like over polished. The the drumming by Travis Barker is incredible, and that's to be expected. And Mark and Matt, they're good singers, and it's still like catchy pop punk music. But it just it feels like it feels like they're trying to like squeeze the last bit of toothpaste out of the tube. They're just really trying to get it. Like there's still something in there. Yeah. It just there's no soul in it. It feels forced. So I I, I mean. I wasn't uh, like entirely disappointed with it, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like I I didn't need this in my life. <laughs> it could be some sort of weird commentary on what they're going through too, though. You know, if they're like getting older and uh, starting to feel less relevant, and they feel like they have to go the plasticky route. Yeah, to, and I guess as, if that is the case, mm-hmm. I appreciate the statement, but that doesn't make it any more enjoyable to listen to. That's true. I guess for myself at least. Yeah, I understand. And it's not getting panned by the critics, and I'd say a lot of the mainstream critics are actually have positive reviews of it. But Mm -hmm. I will, in their defense, say like the more kind of hipstery music review places, such as Pitchfork or Consequences of Sound, Mm -hmm. they're not panning it. They're kind of like, "Eh, it's not that bad. Like they're pleasantly (laughs) surprised by like they went into it expecting shit, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't. But it also just wasn't amazing the same time that's well you know that's probably uh that's that's how you get better reviews is you go into a movie like pacific rim thinking this is gonna be awful and i'm just i just want to see robots fighting monsters you can be nothing but pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. i guess with that we can move on to our first track uh bold advances by Mm. helios off the 2012 album moiety i actually don't know how to pronounce that m-o-i-e-t-y Moiti? Moietti? Moietti? Moi- yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Helios is uh, Keith Kniff. He is an American composer, multi-instrumentalist, and electronic music producer from Pennsylvania. I can't, I couldn't find out where he currently lives. I, I'm assuming it's probably somewhere like L.A. or, or something. Because mm. he, he does a lot of work in the industry. But he's yeah. from Pennsylvania originally. Yeah. He composes ambient electronic music under multiple monikers, such as this one, Helios. He also has a post-classical piano project called Goldmund. And he is also in a band with his wife, Holly. It's the kind of an indie rock shoegaze project called Mint Julep. Ooh. So... He's got three projects, and he actually, he's also like 
a working musician in that he frequently composes music for commercials, film, television, and stuff like that. Okay. So, mm-hmm. as well as putting out albums, he also scores stuff. So he's like a, a working ass musician. <laughs> I guess he's a blue collar. Yeah, blue collar musician. <laughs> musician. That's, that's a good way to put it. Mm. Actually, most recently. I don't know if you use this feature, but Facebook did their like a look back thing where like yeah. they would show you like your your last year. Mm-hmm. He composed the music for that little segment. Oh, okay. So if any of you use the the Facebook a look back feature, you've listened to some of his music before. Mm. Interesting. In uh, in 2010, he started his own music label called Unseen Music, and it houses the releases for all three of his musical projects. And uh, Helios is his first and original project, which he started back in 2002 and was the first project that I happened across upon. I happened upon him. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Back when I got like super into IDM and ambient music, he Mm -hmm. was up there with a lot of the other musicians that were cited as good people in that field. Uh, so this album, Moiety, is his sixth release as Helios and was released as a free or pay-what-you-want album in 2012. Okay. So you can download it for free. You still, till today, you can download this album for free or you can pay him as much or little money as you want for it. He stated that it is a collection of new ambient songs that he's kind of released as a gift uh, pay what you want or enjoy for free. It's my thanks for your support I've received over the years. So it's oh. kind of a thank you album to his fans. That's nice of him. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool dude. He's also a really good, like, photographer, at mm-hmm. least like an iPhone photographer. I highly recommend checking out his Instagram feed. Really nice nature shots. A lot of landscape stuff? Or? Yeah. Like, I would say, like, the kind of thoughts that come into your head when you listen to his music are the kind of pictures he takes. Just like nice, okay, yeah. nice landscape shots with kind of like a slightly desaturated indie lens over it. Kind of a serene. Yeah, exactly. Nature is beautiful and, and shit. And shit. <laughs> Nature and shit. So I was curious what the word moiety means, and it means each of two parts into which a thing is or can be divided. So like in anthropology, moiety is each of the two social or ritual groups in which people are divided, such as Australians and Aborigines are all Australians, or Americans and American, like Native American Indians, are both Americans, but they're also two yep. separate groups at the same time. So is that like uh, does does moiety or whatever refer to the act of the separation or like the the group of the separation? I think it's like the defining of it. Like I don't think okay. it's the act. Well, I'm not sure because it like it's also used in chemistry, and it's used to refer to like part of a molecule. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess it would be the fact, like, the fact that it is a group that is a subgroup within another group might be referred to as moiety. Okay. I have a feeling there's, like, some scientist person just, like, raging right now. Like, (laughs) no, you got it all wrong. Why can't you figure this out, you stupid? Or some anthropologist. Mm -hmm. Fucking plebes. (laughs) Yeah, so that's about all I could dig up on this. What did you think of this track? Uh, I liked it, you know. Um, I kind of wonder 
do you know when this like album actually came out? 2012. Itself? This one? Okay, okay. Because I had this like sneaking suspicion that I might have found this track on one of the old famous Jared Sleep mixes of the day. It could have easily like. It could have very easily been because it's like it's reminiscent of like ambient Aphex Twin yeah. and like Seeger Rose and stuff like that. It's the kind of stuff yeah. that I would I would imagine like calmly falling asleep to. Exactly. Um, and uh, but if it's 2012, it's, it was way too late to actually be on one of those lists we listened to in like middle school and high school. But yeah, uh, unless I had like fancy time traveling music skills. I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> if you had fancy skills involving time travel, it would probably also involve music. So. What a fucking waste. Like you can <laughs> you can time travel but only to grab songs from the future and pull them back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh Um but I did like it. Uh I guess I didn't really think when it comes to the title, it didn't really remind me of like boldness. I agree. <laughs> it kind of made me think of like a curious kind of wonder like some sort of like exploring like a like a a foresty glade or something at yeah. like a twilight moment and you're just kind of, or like a sunrise and you're just ooh everything's so pretty and beautiful and I don't want to like disturb anything you know just take it in so no I, I definitely agree there does seem to be kind of like a disconnect with the title of the song and mm-hmm. the sonic qualities of the song like mm-hmm. I found it to be very relaxing and soothing but almost like too much like I almost I felt like it was being deceptive to me like it's like okay what what else is happening I feel like I'm being distracted by the soothing thing and something <laughs> like notorious is going on behind me Almost. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm being distracted with like how overly pleasant this song is, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it kind of sounds like it should have kept going and expanded into something. Like it sounds like it's like the introduction to something, but then it just kind of trails off at the oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Like I, I could... felt like it was kind of slowly building up to something, and then it just kind of goes. Like Peter's out. <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of like something you could like have, like in the intro of a movie or a game or something. Yeah. Where like as the song fades out, like a new one takes up its place as stuff starts to happen or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Like the like the beginning of like an indie movie where like some guys looking around and like looking through the trees and lights falling curiously on different patterns and like the director's name comes up slowly and then like suddenly something happens and the music changes and yeah like then like the evil thing that it's distracting you from yeah yeah like the guy gets eaten or something yeah it's like oh this is not that kind of movie folks yeah. <laughs> yeah and like like i said i guess going back to how i said it kind of reminds me of secret rose this sounds like it could be like the intro to a secret rose song which mm-hmm. would then explode into like a post-rock cacophony mm-hmm. but it just kind of falls at the end it feels like part of something more. Like yeah. you have to keep listening to the album to like really appreciate the fullness of what's going on. Yeah, and I'm sure within like the context of the album, it might make more sense. I don't know. Like I, I've been listening to Helios for years, so like don't get me wrong, I like this song, but I kind of expected a bit more from Keith. Like these songs are usually a little more dynamic than this. Like this mm-hmm. kind of felt like. Obviously, it's not a one-note song, but like yep. the, the phrase, like, it felt like it could have been a little more complex in some places. At least 
I'm maybe ruined by my previous knowledge of his other work. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So okay. I didn't go into it like completely without any expectations or anything. Yep. Uh, any, any other thoughts or? Um, I guess listening to it though wouldn't I am interested to go out and listen to the rest of the album to see if it does kind of fit in with well, other stuff so you should and you can grab that thing for free on his website okay I'll post a link to it if anyone is interested it's on his band camp I believe mm-hmm. I'll post a link to it I should do that but yeah check out Helios he's great Goldman's great Mint Julep's great Keith's great alright so our next song Thermostat by They Might Be Giants off the 1994 album John Henry. They Might Be Giants is an American alternative rock band formed in 1982 by John Flansburg and John Linnell from Lincoln, Massachusetts, who currently reside in Brooklyn, New York City. The group is best known for an unconventional and experimental style of alternative music. More recently, the band has also found success in children's music. Hmm. They've actually released like five or six albums of children's music, as well as theme music for several television programs and films. Interesting. Now, while it wasn't, this was back when they weren't doing children's music, but like one of their arguably most famous songs, Particle Man, was kind of the early roots of their children's music. So Particle Man was a They Might Be Giant song? Yes. They it is, they wrote that song. Oh, now, wow. Now, the version of the song I believe you're most are most familiar with is by a group called The Bobs doing an a cappella cover of it. True. Probably. But yeah. they did, I don't know if you remember the show Tiny Toon Adventures, mm-hmm. but the, They Might Be Giants did a music video for Particle Man on Tiny Toon Adventures. The one with the, like, duck wrestling, right? Yeah. 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 I don't remember which duck, but one it, of the ducks. Uh, I can't remember the duck's name on Tiny Toons either. It, was, it wasn't Daffy. It's not Daffy, because Daffy's a character in the Looney Tunes universe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was the duck being beat up by Triangle Man and Universe Man. And yep. They also, They Might Be Giants, did a cover of Istanbul, Constantinople. Yep. And they did a music video with Tiny Toons for that yeah, as well. Yeah, I've seen that one too, yep. yeah. So that was kind of their first venture into children's music. I'll, if I can find them on YouTube, I'll post both those videos on the website for this so you guys can check them out. But yeah, they make children's music. Uh, the band has won two Grammy Awards, uh, sold over four million records since the 1980s. Uh, Linnell and Fan, uh, Flansburg first met as teenagers growing up in Massachusetts and began to write songs together while attending Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School, but did not form a band at that time. The two attended separate colleges in high school and reunited in 1981 after coincidentally moving into the same apartment building in Brooklyn on the same day. Mm. It's kind of like fate. The Johns coming together. The Johns came back together. At that point, they continued their musical career and began Mm -hmm. the group. Uh, During their first concert they ever performed, they performed under the name El Grupo de Rock and Roll because (laughs) the show was was at this festival in Central Park where all the audience members were Spanish-speaking people, so they called themselves the the rock and roll group in Spanish. But 
soon after that, they discarded that title and assumed the name of the 1971 film, They Might Be Giants, which in turn was taken from a Dong Quizote passage about how he mistook windmills for evil giants, which itself was taken from a passage in Dante's Inferno. So it's like... Quite a, quite a layers layer upon a... layers upon layers. And then actually... So they didn't even take... so Very derivative. First, first from Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. and then the Don guy wrote a passage about it, and then a movie made, a 1971 movie took the film title, and then actually a friend of They Might Be Giants, who was a ventriloquist, had a ventriloquism act, which he called They Might Be Giants. He then discarded that name because he didn't like it, and upon him discarding it, the band's like, well, can we use that instead? Mm-hmm. So it's actually removed another layer on top of that. <laughs> Uh, it's a common misconception that the name of the band is in reference to themselves, like as an illusion for their future success. In an interview with John Flansburg, he said that the words, they might be giants, are just a very outward-looking forward thing, which they liked. Then the name refers to the outside world of possibilities that they saw as a new and up-and-coming band. Hmm. And John Linnell also described the phrase as something very paranoid-sounding. They might be Ooh. Watch out. Yeah. They can step on you. <laughs> but really, they're just windmills. Yeah. But they might be giants. They have the potential. It's not It's not like kinetic. It's potential. Ah. Potential yeah. versus kinetic energy. The potential ability to become a giant and step on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when the duo began, Flansburg played guitar and Linnell played accordion and saxophone and used a drum machine and pre-recorded backing tracks to provide the rest of the music. Their performances usually included absurdly comical stage props, such as oversized fezzes and cardboard cutouts of people's heads. And at one point, uh, Linnell broke his wrist in a biking accident, and around the same time, Flansburg's apartment was burgled, so it kind of stopped them from being able to perform live. Mm-hmm. So during this hiatus, they began to record their songs as answering machine messages and would put in local newspapers a phone number to call. So you could call, and when it went to the answering machine, you could hear the new They Might Be Giants song. It was called Dial-A-Song, and actually it exploded and got so big that it eventually led to their first record deal because of how big it got. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, They, since, like, back in 2015, brought it back. I don't know if the number still works, but you can go on their website and listen to them all. For a while there, they were putting out one new song a week. So... It's kind of impressive. Yeah, uh, t- industrious of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they've just been putting out so, like, f- they started in the 80s, and they put out 19 studio albums, 10 compilation albums, 9 live albums, 8 EPs, 7 music videos, 11 singles. Mm-hmm. Machines. Yeah, but how much of that is good is the question. <laughs> you can churn out a lot of content. Well, the maybe- kids like it. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, I do like those kids' yeah. songs. So The kids like it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of putting out music like a machine, their fifth studio album, which is called John Henry, mm-hmm. was an allusion to machines. Well, yeah. So this is, like I said, when they started out, there was just two guys. Mm-hmm. So this was actually their very first band that they formed a full arrangement okay. with a drummer and people playing, like, keyboards and whatnot and the name is in reference to the 
famous fable of John Henry who battled a machine and won. The steel driving man. Exactly. And it was supposed to kind of represent the band's fundamental switch to a more conventional instrumentation, especially the newly established use of a human drummer instead of a drum machine. So oh, okay. like humans prevailing over machines. Huh. And actually, throughout this whole album, specifically in the song Thermostat, there are many allusions to malfunctioning technology. Okay, that so actually it's brings kind of a little light into yeah, the context. Song. Yeah. I thought they were just called John Henry because it was just another John. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's actually a really good alternative theory. Mm-hmm. They just like all the Johns they can find and try to bring just them in. Just gather all the Johns. That reminds me of uh, old Kids in the Hall skit called these are the daves i know <laughs> one of the guys goes around and sings a song about all the daves he knows in his life mm-hmm. it's stupid but funny it's, it's a kids in the hall skit so what, what yeah. do you expect yeah they so, should uh they should put out an album that's just called john's assemble <laughs> john's assemble john's assemble that's what i would do if i was in a band with they could try Jones. to like yeah they could try to make like a huge super group of like all these famous john musicians yeah Actually, Ben Folds has a all Ben-based supergroup called the Bens. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And they could even get one of the members to wear uh, John Lennon's uh, <laughs> blood, blood shirt. <laughs> so he'll be there in spirit. Yeah, and there could be a bunch of toilets on stage. John's. <laughs> yeah, John's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so this song, Thermostat. Interesting fact about it before we get too into it. There is a line in the song saying, as I was just telling you a minute ago, that line occurs exactly one minute into the song. Interesting. They're the kind of band that does little witty things like that. I was going to say, it sounds like uh, something that was definitely uh, intentional. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I scavenged the They Might Be Giants wiki for this song, and there's many possible interpretations and theories as to the meaning behind this song. Yeah. Some people think it's literally about car accidents and road death, which is a common theme on this album. Mm. Some people think it's about how unstable our bodies become as we age and our inability to control them. And rather than trying to fix the problem, we just do quick fixes, such mm-hmm. as turn the thermostat up or down. Some people think the song is a comment on technology and how we rely on it too much. And some people believe it is about manic depression and one's inability to control their emotions. I'm not sure which one I fall on. I have a, a fifth. Okay, and here's, uh, here's, here's the real one. A much Chance more simple theory. I think they were just pissed off because someone kept screwing with the thermostat in their house or apartment and they're like you know what stop with the thermostat turn it up when you're cold turn it down when you're hot just stop thermostat you know <laughs> knowing what i know about them it wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. like that that's one of the notes i took about it it's something i really appreciate about they might be giants music is they really balance this thin line between nonsense and meaning Mm -hmm. like this song could easily be this super deep metaphorical song referencing emotions and thoughts Mm -hmm. or it could also just literally be about the thermostat and a car breaking down yeah like it and you can't quite tell Mm -hmm. it could like particle man is there a deeper meaning to it or is it just like a weird absurd song about characters right yeah so what, what what did you think of this track um, I kind of liked it. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and just like say 
now that were two tracks and that I did like every song on this list, but uh, I, I guess um, this probably was my least favorite. Okay. But I well, still kind of liked it, you know? Yeah. So I just kind of, like, the first time I listened to it, I thought, man, this guy really hates thermostats. Sure. And so I thought it was really shallow kind of a thought about it, and it kind of, like, didn't really grow on me as I looked more into it. Yeah. But after hearing, you know, some of the theories about what it could be about, it's a little more interesting. Sure. It it's like it sounds kind of like a slow, sad ska song, though. Yeah, I actually I wrote that too. I also kind of alluding to the next song that's coming up. I mm-hmm. thought it was kind of fitting because they usually don't have much of a ska so- sound to them. But the fact that yeah. the next song is a ska song, I thought was so. So I was wondering about that because I didn't know much about they might be giants and i didn't make the connection to like particle man or or, uh istanbul constantinople and etc or that they had such a long sort of discography of stuff but i was like i i had heard of them before and i didn't think i remember hearing them being a ska band or anything like that so this album in their discography is a bit polarizing with fans because they did experiment a lot with different sounds Mm -hmm. on this and bringing in other musicians so yeah this the ska sound isn't a standard for them they were kind of like exploring a bit yep. with their and i mean if you if you bring in like people for a band you know then you can like start playing with like i'm pretty sure there's horns on here yeah and, yeah, and or, there's organ too which i kind of mm-hmm. dug yeah i i agree this it's an all right song mm-hmm like I'm not a huge They Might Be Giants fan, but of all the songs I know of them, like this isn't my favorite by far. Like it's kind of, it's, it, it's just kind of forgettable. I think it's, it's no particle. Man. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> but other than being forgettable, like I said, I I do like the addition of horns. I did like the organ. I thought it had a nice kind of catchy, upbeat sensibility about it. But I feel like. They Might Be Giants have better catcher, more entertaining songs at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could I could agree with that yeah. uh, that statement. Kind of sums up my feelings on the yeah. matter as well. It wasn't good. I mean, it was good. It was okay, but it wasn't mm-hmm. bad. But I do feel like it's just kind of forgettable mm-hmm. overall. A- you have any other thoughts? I don't really think so. I think that about... Uh, sums it up. Yeah, sums it up. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Would You Be Impressed by Streetlight Manifesto off of the 2007 album Somewhere in the Between. Streetlight Manifesto is an American ska punk band from New Brunswick, New Jersey. And the the band's name is actually based off an actual manifesto that the lead singer of the band wrote, uh, Thomas Kalonki, Kalonski. And he wrote it to accompany the first album the group put out called Everything Goes Numb. So do you know what a manifesto is? Um, I've always heard of it as like a, a ship manifesto or a trade manifesto where it's like, a, I think, a list of like the possessions or the people on board. A, hmm, I didn't think about or like that. like a flight manifesto. Because I was know? thinking of like, like the communist manifesto. Like politically, it's like a public declaration of policy and aims. So, but that wouldn't be like too far no, off. It wouldn't It'd be, be like the the uh, 
basically the items list of what's going on in the policy yeah. if you think about oh, it. That's so. true. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's like it's essentially he used it as like a mission statement for mm-hmm. the band. It was kind of like a description about what the band stands for and what their like phil- philosophies are and their morals mm-hmm. and how they want to be independent and authentic. And while he doesn't blatantly say it in the manifesto, I think the allusion to a streetlight is meant to kind of represent how the band wants to stand alone in the darkness, mm-hmm. shining a beacon of light for those who agree with their viewpoints to come to them in a, okay. in a way. Yep. I think that's where it comes from. That's my theory, at least. It's a, it's a good theory. Yeah. I don't have anything to counter. You don't have that. a counter, mm-hmm. a counterpoint, mm-hmm. which is a song by Streetlight Manifesto. Point counterpoint. <laughs> um, the group is somewhat of a third wave ska supergroup, being formed of members of the other two successful ska punk bands, Catch Twenty Two and One Cool Guy, also both from New Brunswick, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the between is sometimes considered Streetlight's second album and sometimes it's considered their third album. Huh. Uh, the reason for this confusion is that the second album to appear in Streetlight Manifesto's discography is actually a track-for-track re-recording of an album called Keys Be Nights, which, which was originally yeah. the debut album of Tom's other band, Catch-22. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's... it's this, while somewhere in the, in the between is technically the third album to be put out by the band, it is their second album of original recordings. Yeah. So, kind of interesting. Okay. That's that's interesting, because I, I listened to Keysby Nights of Streetlight Manifesto, Streetlights. but I didn't know there was one of Catch-22. Yeah, it's, and like I said, it's a track-for-track track re-recording, but I would say like the instrumentation's a little raw, mm-hmm. the music's played a little faster, and some lyrics were changed a bit okay so it's essentially the same album you know i think technically speaking the streetlight one is a better produced album okay but you know like a lot of hardcore listeners like the rawness Mm -hmm. of and the messiness of the catch 22 recording i see yeah so you guys i'll let you guys decide for yourselves go listen to both of them and then report back to us stop stop listening to this Go listen to those. Mm-hmm. We want to hear you. Yes. Yeah, and we're. I'm waiting. The phone's on. We'll just wait here for a call, mm-hmm. and you guys can let us know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just waiting. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> this album. The. Oh, we got our first call. Uh, oh, they hung up. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> we almost had a call. Almost. Someone's listening. Someone named Madison Quinnell. Hmm. I wonder who that is. Maybe she'll call back and let us know what she thinks about Catch-22 and Streetlight Manifesto. <laughs> so this album's lyrical content deals with themes of religion and death. And a lot of people online, from what I get, believe this song is about religion. Commenting on people not quote unquote practicing what they preach, how mm. they do evil, horrible acts while they live, but once death comes for them, they seek forgiveness so they can get to heaven. Interesting. Um, I didn't so much get the religious vibe of this song. I didn't either. 
Yeah, it, I kind of more so got like a comment on society in general mm-hmm. and how, you know, people don't really care about the horrible things happening in the world until it starts to affect them. Yeah. Like, you know, first world privilege kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, yeah. A, a statement on like the, not necessarily the rich and the affluent, but the people who don't have to face hardships that oh, yeah. kind of ignore the hardships going on around like them. Like Facebook slacktivism, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll change my icon to this flag and I'm helping yep. now. Now that I have the France, the France flag yeah. overlaying my picture, the yeah. people in France are going to do much better. Exactly. Which, you know, it's nice, like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't mean to, like, knock it because it's nice mm-hmm. to, like, be thoughtful, but at the same time, don't think you're, like, this amazing. You're not doing anything, really. Yeah. You're just you're sending, showing support, but showing support doesn't prayers. do a whole lot, you know. Yeah. So that that's kind of, and especially like that the repeated line of "It's not my fault." Mm-hmm. So it's like, why should I care about these horrible things happening in this other country? It's not my fault. And yep. especially once you like pair it with the music video for this song, mm-hmm. it kind of also brings into that commentary on society the, the music video for the song featured uh, an animated band of animals singing and performing in a band yep. this song and intercut with it are these scenes it begins with like these humans doing these horrible acts to animals mm-hmm. starting with simple things like spraying water in a cat's face and kicking it all the way to like clubbing baby seals and yep. polluting drinking water mm-hmm. and then the animals kind of get fed up with it and somehow acquire a full artillery of guns and <laughs> literally start just killing humans and mm-hmm. bombing the shit out of them and the music video ends with them kind of like destroying the world as buildings crumble all around them yep. with the band shouting it's not my fault in the background mm-hmm. so I don't know what did what did you think of the music video and this track and whatnot? well I'm pretty sure I've heard this one before uh, although I hadn't really thought of it much before um, and upon taking some time to actually listen to it and think about it I do like the song um and it's very ska. <laughs> very ska. So uh, ska. Unlike the last track, which was just kind of ska. This yeah. one is very ska. So ska. So ska. Uh, but uh, I would definitely agree with a lot of uh, what you said, where it's um, definitely some sort of sort of statement about the impassive or the passive uh, non-action of people yeah. until it's too late. And exactly. then... Um, I did also originally think it was just kind of a vague-like statement on society as a whole, ignoring kind of bad events, and then the music video gave it kind of that environmentalism undertone. Yeah, that's true. So, which would really just be a subset of the overall message to begin with, and it's definitely kind of um, interesting. It reminds me of, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was in... um, the preview to that other um, guy who plays Harry Potter, why can't Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe movie? Was that in the theater we saw last night? The the Nazi or the KKK we watched movie? that on my laptop. Okay, on your laptop. Yeah. I couldn't remember the neo-Nazi undercover FBI agent movie. Mm-hmm. But it's it's something to the effect of something to do with uh, evil happening because of the inaction of good men or something like that. And I think that song's kind of like taking a stab at that point. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's like the 
the opening scene in the Boondock Saints where the priest is like delivering that sermon. He's like, the thing you should fear more than evil men is the indifference, indifference of, good of good men. Yeah. And they tell that famous story about that woman whose name was Kitty, mm-hmm. who was like in the center of a bunch of apartment buildings and was being stabbed to death. And everybody was just watching it happen because everyone was just assuming that someone else was going to call the cops. And yep. no one did because they all just assumed someone else was going to do it because it's not my fault. Which also, uh, you know, I'm sure most people know this, or at least a lot of people know this because I do believe uh, I just learned this in school. But that's where the um, sort of the I don't I don't think it's a good Samaritan law, but the. The law where if you see something happen and you don't act, you are at fault for not preventing something. I think like that if is the Good improve. Samaritan law. Yeah. Well, the Good Samaritan law is you can't be punished for damage caused trying to help someone. Oh, okay. Um, for being that a is Good Samaritan. Yeah. Okay. But uh, there's a similar law, or at least maybe it's tagged onto that one, you know, where you, like, because of that very case, where if you witness something happening and you don't act, you can be faced with criminal charges sure. of negligence and such. Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously there are circumstances where uh, maybe it would be unsafe to do so. So like, you're not at fault, but like, it's just interesting that this kind of like song is just really about that. It's like, it's, it's not my fault. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Why should I bother? I have nothing to do with mm-hmm. this. It's that very egocentric mm-hmm. viewpoint on the world kind of, and I think I think the last iteration of quote unquote it's not my fault is actually it is my fault. Yeah. So it's kind of like wrapping up with like oh it's too late it was my fault but yeah yeah I, can do. I don't remember the last lines of the song but it is kind of like that sentiment of like well everything's gone to shit I guess it was my fault kind of mm-hmm. I should have done something yeah. you know but it's it's a really good song I like it a lot. Yeah I really dug this song too I think it's a it's a I think it's a I mean, it's a great ska song, mm-hmm. but I don't think it quite sticks out, at least in Streetlight's discography. Like, I think the problem with being a great ska punk band is that your music has to be really good to stand out. Because I think mm-hmm. a problem ska music can have, like, just within the genre itself is, you know, it can be very repetitive yep. when you're, like, sticking to this horns upstroke guitar kind of reggae beat so it's like you can't really go straight too far from that sound otherwise it's not ska anymore so you have Mm -hmm. to do other things to stick out which i think streetlight usually does a really good job at because of just how fast and aggressive it is like i was just talking to maddie earlier today and i was like you know tom the lead singer of this band he could have been a great rapper just because he can just spit so fast like yeah blah, 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 but you can understand everything he's saying yeah which i think is something that really stands out with him mm-hmm. you know and like this this has everything that a great streetlight song has it's fast driving high energy angry catchy awesome but they just have better songs that i'd like to listen to yeah. so it kind of you know like you said you were familiar with this song but until i forced you to like really listen to it for this podcast yeah. you didn't kind of realize like oh these are some really interesting lyrics. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you don't really focus on it, it could kind of just kind of come and go and you wouldn't really mm-hmm. blink twice about it. Kind of thing. Which is almost kind of interesting because it's almost like it's not my yeah. fault I didn't really pay attention That's to true. it until it's too late. No, <laughs> maybe they were trying to be like really meta about it. Like not only I, are we commenting on society, but we're also like making you forget this song just to prove a point, <laughs> which 
I wouldn't put past them. They're kind of... I wouldn't call them pretentious, but they definitely have a very, like, strong stance on their morals and viewpoints. Yeah. As most punk people do. It's kind of the ethos of punk. To and this, this song authenticity is and very obvious that they have strong viewpoints, yes. too. So. And so it's, it, it's kind of a shame that it's it's not one of their more memorable ones because it is a very... It does have a very strong viewpoint, and I think it is a pretty good one in, like... Yeah the sort of don't like, sit by idly and do nothing get out and act but more so like uh, like this is, is you're gonna hate it if, when it's too late because you can't do anything yeah but i uh, mean if it wasn't a ska song mm-hmm. i think it would stick out more just because ska music just kind of like no well that's, blends together after a while that's true it, it, there's there's not a whole lot of large variance in, yeah. in the genre but uh you know no i i dug it it's just Again, similar to Helios. Like, it's a great song. It's just mm-hmm. not the best. It's not the greatest song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not the greatest song in the world. It's just a tribute. Indeed. Tenacious D. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next track. Did right. Daffy D- Unless you have anything else. Nope, that- I'm good. Okay. Daffy Duck by Animal Collective off the 2005 album Feels. Mm-hmm. Animal Collective is an American experimental art pop band from Baltimore, Maryland. Formed by Avi Terr, aka David Portner, Panda Bear, aka Noah Lennox, Deacon, aka Josh Dibb, and Geologist, aka Brian White. Uh, Avi Terr's name came from tearing apart the name David, Davy, mm-hmm. hence Avi Terr. Yep. Uh, panda Bear's name came from the little panda that he would draw on tapes he would make for friends when he started making his first recordings ever when he was a oh. kid. Deacon's name came from letters he used to write to other members of the band under the, like, he had a pen name, Conrad Deacon. Mm-hmm. He just shortened it to Deacon. And Geologist's name came from, he he does all the electronics for the band, so when he's, like, on a dark stage performing, he wears a headlamp so he can see what oh, he's okay. doing. That's kind and of that's, weird. he got the name Geologist because... I thought it was just because he liked rocks. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot <laughs> of people assume that it's because he studied geology in college, but he actually got a degree in marine biology. Oh! I should talk to him. I almost did that. Yeah, you and geologists would get along. Mm -hmm. Uh, The band's music is characterized by studio experimentation, vocal harmonies, and an exploration of various genres, which include freak, folk, noise rock, ambient drawing, and psychedelia. And before you ask, I will tell you what freak folk means, because I've never heard of freak folk before. Freak folk is a genre of folk music which uses mainly acoustic instrumentation but introduces elements of avant-garde music and psychedelic folk, often featuring uncommon sounds, lyrical themes, and vocal styles. Huh. Freak folk. Interesting. Uh, The band members met in high school and started recording together in various forms of collaboration from a young age. The first couple, like releases they would do like instead of all four of them like two of them would work on a project and the other two would do mm-hmm. and then eventually they kind of came together as a collective yep. as animal collective like they all like they all have those weird names because as well as being in this collective band they are all separate solo artists at the same time oh okay um actually originally they wanted to just call the band av terror panda bear deacon and geologist but they kind of realized that's a bit long-winded of a band name. A little wordy, yeah. And when the record companies recording them, they kind of were like, you need to have a more marketable name, something that's easier. So the group decided to adopt the catch-all name, Animal Collective, 
because uh, the old label they used to be on was called Animal, mm-hmm. and since they are a collective of solo artists, Animal Collective. Yep. Uh, this formation was to be different from a straightforward band, giving the musicians a freedom to work in combinations of two or three or four as dictated by the project at hand or their moods. Mm-hmm. And going throughout their discography, it's always kind of like a different... Sometimes all four of them are on an album. Sometimes it's just three of them. Sometimes it's just two of them. Yeah. And they kind of leave and go. And sometimes one will break off to do a solo album while the other three do an Animal Collective album. And it's just kind of been that way since they began. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. kind of fluctuates. A nice kind of free-flowing model of band members. Yeah. 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 I dig it. It's like organic mm-hmm. kind of. So this album, Feels, was the sixth studio album by animal collective and it's known for its unconventional guitar sounds which were obtained in part by a unique tuning the band used so i guess uh geologists kind of explained that they had this friend who is actually features on this album her name is uh, kriya Brieken. she's icelandic mm-hmm. she's actually the ex-wife of av tear oh. and this was actually one of the first albums where they brought in other musicians to record on instead of just the, the central four mm-hmm. so she had this really old out of tune piano now when he says out of tune he doesn't mean like it was actually out of tune he just meant it had gone so many years without a proper tuning that it was just slightly off subtly in many many various ways mm-hmm. so they recorded her playing piano and then put it onto a computer and turn it into like these little loops and then every instrument they used they tuned to match this slightly oh, off piano okay. and actually there's this little funny anecdote that he told that when they went into the studio to properly record it there was a grand piano that the studio had and they had to bring in a professional piano tuner to detune the piano to match Mm-hmm. the girl's piano just so it sounded right so they, they, they brought a guy in to detune it professionally mm. so an uh, engineer Scott Coburn who worked on this album also stated that as well as having the uniquely tuned instruments they also got uh, interesting vocal effects by every time they recorded vocals for the album they would set up six microphones in front of the whoever they're singing mouth and would then play all six recordings on top of each other at the same time which gives it this kind of like fuzzy otherworldliness because yeah. mm-hmm. it sounds slightly different depending upon where in front of the mouth the microphone is yep yeah uh the album's title also comes from Kriya Brieken, who, like I said, is Icelandic, and her English isn't the best. So instead of using the word feelings, she always just said feels. Mm-hmm. And this was before the meme feels was, yep. was a thing. So that that's where they got the album title from. And so let, let's let's move on to the track, Daffy Duck. I honestly have no idea what the song is about. Uh, but I suppose that's what you should expect when you try to read <laughs> too much into an Animal Collective song. Mm-hmm. Many people online seem to think that this is a song from the perspective of a father trying to give advice to his son, mm-hmm. which I guess at the very end they there's like a reference to like a father's arms swinging his child or something. Yep. But, mm-hmm. you know, the lyrics are very surreal and cryptic. Yeah, so what, what did you think of the Daffy Duck? Uh, at first, I didn't like it. 
because uh, it's very long. <laughs> it is. It's especially for a song this long. There's not a lot to pay attention to. No, so it's, it's asking a lot of you. Yeah, I uh, I originally was listening to the the playlist at home, and like every song is like three minutes or something, and then this song came on and it said seven something seven. and i'm like oh oh this is gonna be this is gonna be an interesting one especially after i had listened to the first like minute of it and i looked i'm like oh this is gonna be a this long is gonna song. go on for six more minutes this is yeah and it does this interesting thing where there's like kind of like three sort of movements to it but i would i don't want to call them movements because they all sound more or less the same or it like you know three variations on a theme yeah i guess like almost like stanzas in a, yeah. in a poem or something where it's like there's like the first one where there's some lines and some noise and then it kind of like comes down into a little chorus and then it goes back up into like another kind of um verse and then it comes down into a chorus and then there's the last one and then it ends so of i mean it, it is kind of like a traditional verse chorus verse chorus but it's so elongated and minimal that it doesn't feel like a yeah that's, verse chorus verse chorus that's verse. that's true like it doesn't sound like a normal song even though it has all of the elements of yeah. a normal song just because it's so elongated like you said but uh and then like and also, usually the first time you listen to something, it's just that much longer because it's a new experience, so your mind is taking You don't know what in. to expect. It's it's kind of like how when you go somewhere for the first time, the journey feels like it takes 20 minutes, and then when you come back, it feels like it takes five. Sure. Know? So, and I would listen, I listened to it again, and it didn't take as long, and I liked it a little bit better, and it was very interesting and fairly unique sounding as far as like music I often listen to. And then, but I still was like, one of my thoughts the whole time was like, how does this have anything to do with Daffy Duck? Like, <laughs> I was expecting some like quacking noises or like, I didn't know how uh, involved the title was to the song. And then I looked up the lyrics, like uh, actually a couple days ago as I was here with you. And then I read through them and listened to the song while you were playing it. And... I too like sort of read like the theories online about what what the song is about and like the first one I came across was uh, that didn't really make sense to me was like some sort of like longing of a person for a woman and like eh, that doesn't really fit so I don't really agree with that one and then I read the father to a son one and that one kind of it seems like it resonated a lot more with the lyrics um, because like the lyrics talk about like silly things and like kind of like like little ducks and birds and laughing ducks mm-hmm. and the ducks obviously being Daffy Duck a, a reference to Daffy Duck or Daffy Duck being a reference to said ducks yes. in, the, in the verses but uh um it definitely like uh, one of the the, the sort of uh, sub theories of the father son thing I was reading is it's not so much maybe advice but a father singing about how he's getting kind of frustrated with his son growing up and growing out of all these nice childish things. Yeah, because he does keep saying like, we're changing again, things are changing yep. again. Mm-hmm. And then there's that line like, are you in need of teen angst and a nibble on your neck? Like, yeah. you're just obsessed with girls and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah, and then uh, and so that's that's kind of interesting. And I do think I like that idea of the song it makes sense to me yeah after reading the lyrics 
It's also a very long song. <laughs> yeah. I know I keep going back to that. No, it, it's it's long. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like this song, but mm-hmm. I can see how it definitely might not be for everyone. It, oh, yeah. It's, it's a bit out there. Uh, I do like, if you like listen closely, there's like these really subtle, quiet samples of people like breathing in the background, like especially at the end of the song, you're like, <gasps> like weird voices <laughs> like that. And I, I do, I, Hmm. it's it's a good song but i'm not sure like this is actually i was talking to dominic about this just because i first of all i thought it was funny because animal collective is like one of his favorite bands oh yeah i was like of course the first animal collective song to pop up is an episode you're not on and he thought that'd be good because he felt like he'd be too biased but i was talking to him about this song and he said oh that's a good song he's like but I don't think I've ever listened to it while it's not within the context of the whole album. Like, oh. I always put the album on just listen the whole thing through. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever just sat down and listened to Daffy Duck and then walked away afterwards. So he's like, I'm not sure how it would sound like when it's not in the context of the rest of the album. Yeah. And I think I, think I agree with him on that. Because, like I said, I did enjoy this song. But like you, you said, it's very long. It's very minimal. It's weird like i don't think i've ever listened to a song that sounds like this mm-hmm. i think it is something that it might need the context of the whole album like it's it's like the contents of a sandwich <laughs> you know you don't want to just eat meat and cheese and lettuce you need the bread to put it to bring it all together mm-hmm. so maybe it wouldn't be so jarring if you heard the song that came before and after it. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering that, too, because I've never listened to The Animal Collective before this day. Like, I've heard of them, but I had never actually heard them, so... Or at least, if I had, I didn't know what I was listening to. Yeah. So I would be interested to also hear this album and then throw this song in the middle with it and see if it makes a tasty sandwich. Or if it's just like... Like, the bread is over here and the meat just kind of fell out (laughs) on the sidewalk, you know? (laughs) Don't want to eat that. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that kind of makes sense. Because there's that line, what I need is good advice cooked on plates of ground meat. Yeah. yeah Instead exactly. of, like, actually ground meat, it's, like, meat on the ground. Ground, ground meat. Ground meat, yeah. <laughs> that fell out of a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I also did like about this song is the whole time the guitar, I don't know if this will make sense, it felt accidental. Like, it just kind of, like, it does have a musicality to it, but at the same mm-hmm. time, with the effects and just kind of how off it is, it just kind of sounds like someone who doesn't know how to play guitar is just kind of, like, plucking randomly it. plucking strings, yeah. and it just so happens to, like, be cohesive. Mm-hmm. I did, actually, I did like that about the guitars. I actually did, too, yeah. Um, and I totally know what you mean. It definitely sounds like maybe someone who knows a little about what they're doing, but yeah. not a whole lot. It was just kind of like... And like, it doesn't really feel like there's like a time signature at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of random almost. Like, I'm yeah. gonna pluck a note now and I'm gonna wait five seconds to do another one, then immediately do another one after that. And it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like there's like a method to the madness. Yep. Is, is a good way to put it. That's, that's true. Yep. Yeah, and, any other thoughts on this? And Daffy Duck. This is also a slight uh, connection to the last song because of the animals. Ooh. Ooh. 
gotta like make bring in some grand unify theory that brings everything together i was kind of hoping to find that while i was like listening to these five songs but nothing occurred to me for the other two maybe we can think of something maybe all right while we think about it let's move on to our last track love you to pieces by jeremy messersmith off the 2009 album the silver city Jeremy Messersmith is an indie pop musician based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, though he is originally was born in Charleston and grew up in the Tri-Cities area of Washington. He moved to Minneapolis in 1999 to attend North Central University and has resided there ever since. Uh, he's an avid gamer as well as a Dungeons and Dragons fanatic, mm. and he's just a really awesome guy. So there, there's a reason why he keeps cropping up among the people I know. Yes. Okay. Uh, first, yeah, he's kind of, especially since you live in the Minneapolis area, he's mm. really big there. He's big on yep. 89.3 The Current and within our group of friends. I've met him a good handful of times because he, so like back in college, my my old buddy, Papa Roro, Zach mm. Rorda, he was in charge of scheduling bands and entertainment events to come play at the school. So yep. he would frequently bring Jeremy Messersmith up. Mm-hmm. So that's, I kind of met Jeremy the first couple times because he kind of knows Zach and yep. we'd talk a little bit after the concerts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he'd just be kind of someone you'd like run into, not frequently, but yep. he'd play at first half sometimes. And I, I thought this was a pretty cool little thing. Like, there's this big concert in Minneapolis every year called Rock the Garden, yep. which is this big outdoor event that used to just be one night. And now it's like expanding to like, it's it's going to be like a festival at some point because it's already expanded into multiple days. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first year I went to Rock the Garden, uh, the Decemberists were headlining it. And Jeremy Messersmith just biked down and attended the concert with all of us other people he just biked there huh. and then you cut to a few years later and he's one of the performers at the concert yeah mm-hmm. which i thought was really awesome for him mm. and he he does these really cool tours called the supper club tours uh essentially he puts it out to his fans and saying like these are the cities i'm stopping in contact yep. me if you're willing to host an event so Someone with a house will host a concert, and it's a potluck. Everyone's supposed to bring a dish, mm-hmm. and everyone shows up, and before Jeremy and everybody who's going to the concert hangs out, eats, talks, drinks, has a good time. Mm-hmm. And then Jeremy just busts out an acoustic guitar and sits down and plays music for an hour or two afterwards. It's really intimate, really cool. He actually did one here in State College that Maddie and I went to. Oh. Yeah, and I we hung out and talked for most of the night, and actually... I don't think he's actually going to do it, but I tried to talk him into doing a series of songs about the Star Wars planets. Oh, okay. He has a song called Tatooine, mm-hmm. and there's actually this really cool stop motion like um, construction paper music video for it that went viral, yep. and me and him were talking about that song, and I was asking him, are you familiar with uh, Gustav Holtz's The Planets? I was just going to say, yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. I'm like, you should do that but make a song for all the planets in Star Wars. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, that'd be a great idea. I could do one for Kashyyyk and Naboo and yeah. Yavin 4. And yeah, do, do like, it'd be like a modern pop nerd culture exactly. version of 
uh, holsts the planets. Dude, you would, the internet would like lose their shit if he did something like that. Oh, they would totally lose their shit. So I try to talk him into doing that. So hope if he ever does someday, Jeremy, you owe, you owe me some royalties. That was <laughs> my idea. Well, but, if I ever meet him, I'll, I'll plug the idea again and be like, hey, I got this friend that you. I know sold this idea to you before, and I think it'd be great. Yeah. You should do it, you know? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you guys ever see that if he's stopping your town for a supper club show, definitely check it out. It's. I'm pretty sure I might be misremembering this. I think the only requirement is you just bring food. I think like you just like RSVP. I don't everything. think there might have been like a $10 cover fee, mm-hmm. but it's it's just so low-key and it's so cool. Like he's just hanging out with a bunch of strangers and you're eating food and then he just plays music. And is there kind of like a, like a, a maximum amount of people he wants in those? Like you don't want to overfill the house? I mean, I, I'm assuming so because I, I think it's up to the discretion of whoever's hosting and like mm-hmm. how many people are you comfortable with hanging out in your house? Yep. Because I do know you need to RSVP spots yep. for it. But did you know the people's how the, whose house you went to? No, this? no. There was actually it was a bunch of undergrad kids that lived down the street from here. Oh, okay. never met any of them. Maddie and our friend Amber and I went, and it was great. Yeah. Ever talked to any of those kids since? No. <laughs> I've never even seen any of them again. Mm-hmm. So, no. He's a great guy, really sociable. He's really funny, and he's also just happens to be an amazing musician. <laughs> uh, so, this album, The Silver City, was his second album he put out. And actually, there was a press poll in the Twin Cities, and it got second place of the best album of 2008. Ooh. Lost to Atmosphere, the Minneapolis-based hip-hop duo, which, mm-hmm. no offense, Jeremy, but Atmosphere, is, they're like they're nationally big, so I think he did good for getting second place because he doesn't have the reach that Atmosphere has. Really? Yeah, Atmosphere, they're pretty, for being an indie underground hip-hop band, they're probably one of the biggest in the country. Huh. I, I was say. not aware of that. I knew yeah. they were, like, huge, you know, in the cities, but... They're pretty, I mean... They're definitely bigger in Minnesota than anywhere else, but mm-hmm. they have a pretty... They got clout. The cities, of course, referring to the Twin Minneapolis, Cities for those yeah. who the only aren't cities from that Minnesota. Matter. <laughs> the only cities that matter. Mm-hmm. So love you to pieces. Uh, I don't know. What did you think of this track? It's really sad. It is really sad. Like, like heartbreakingly sad. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it was probably my favorite out of the, out of the five... Uh, but I also have kind of a soft spot for like super sad, tender, mm-hmm. tender songs. So, yeah, dare I say I love this song to pieces. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. The guitar mm-hmm. has a really kind of nice, rich, quiet, fuzzy distortion to it. Mm-hmm. The Glockenspiel is great, and his voice is just so heartbreaking. It just fucking cuts right through you like yeah. it's so so sad mm-hmm. but beautiful at the same time and this song has this post-rock bell curve that i like to apply to things where it starts off really quiet and then it explodes at one part and then it ends really quiet again yeah. and pretty much i realized if any song does that i will love it unconditionally <laughs> mm-hmm. so i don't know like it is a really sad song but it's also like optimistic. Yeah. Like he's kind of lamenting this failed love, but at the end he's like, but I'm not going to give up and I'm going to love you to pieces and this isn't over. And yep. I, I loved it. I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good song, and um, I think it kind of resonates with me because I know I've felt this way before, so I kind of understand where he's coming from, mm-hmm. um, and and it's kind of a, it's a hard position to be in. Because, you know, uh, he's, like, very optimistic about it, but he doesn't know if it's going to work out, you know? But he's just going to try, you know? He's going to put all of his effort in and see what happens. And and who knows? Maybe it's already past the point where it can be helped, and he's just like, this is his last ditch, like, damn it, I'm going to try before, you know, at least so I get some something yeah. out of it, you know? I don't know. but uh, And I do like how when he when the song turns from like being heartbroken to like mm-hmm. the motivated that's when the music kind of picks up and yep. gets really mm-hmm. intense yeah but god that part right before where he's just like quietly singing like i'll come back down in the falsetto that's like mm-hmm. the part where it's like Ugh. <laughs> so sad i just want to cry myself to sleep right now yeah. happily yeah like <laughs> back when he'd play those shows in duluth he would just kind of take requests from the audience mm-hmm and everyone like would request all of his like really sad like songs about heartbreak and death and he's mm. like jesus christ this is like a night of death and despair with jeremy messersmith because <laughs> he's actually like mm-hmm. when you talk to him he's this like really funny sarcastic cynical witty guy yep. and then he hops on guitar and he's like almost a completely different like he's like this mm. like super introspective quiet beautiful singer sad mm. guy and then he's like just super funny and nerdy when you talk to him like, in a, person. like, a, like a tortured artist who's in in real life isn't really yeah, yeah. he's a lot more, more yeah he's that. really grounded and like i said he's loves like starcraft and wow and, okay and, i gotta talk to this person like, then. <laughs> man he's, he's been playing like the same campaign of D for like years now they just keep going and going and yeah oh man yeah and it's great if you guys ever want to be entertained I believe it's. I don't. I can't remember. It's it's either like, it's either the Grammys, the Oscars, or like, the Super Bowl or something. There's some big event where every year, he gets super drunk and just like live tweets it, <laughs> and he'll like take pictures of all the drinks he's making, and it just gets progressively more like belligerent as the night goes on. And he's hilarious. You should follow him on Twitter. He's great. If I tweeted, I would. Yeah. Well, you do tweet sometimes when you post Instagram photos. Yeah, but all I have to do there is just, just hit, the, hit the, the Twitter yeah. slider. And there you go. All right. A- any final last parting thoughts? <sighs> I don't know. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. It felt like an interesting song to wrap up the series I, on. Too. I def- that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a great ending track to the playlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, overall, I think there was a good progress, like, the Helios was a good intro. Yeah, this it was, was a good outro, and the middle stuff was a little more exciting and mm-hmm. upbeat. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, there was a good random like for a randomly generated playlist. There was a good flow to it. I guess the only thing I would do to make it like a well like constructed playlist within these five songs is I think I'd just switch Daffy Duck and Thermostat around. Yeah. And that would, like... Yeah, I guess Daffy Duck leading into Jeremy Messersmith is, like, a bit... Yeah, you should have, like... Low to low. Exciting, low, excite, like... Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. like... It'd be, like, a, more of a roller coaster then. Well, I think it'd be it'd be more of, like... It'd be more of that bell curve then, because cause you would have, like, 
the nice low start of Helios into the slightly more going on Daffy Duck into the 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 streetlight, then down okay. to thermostat. No, okay. Then, yeah. I wasn't thinking about it right. You're right. That would just be like a big bell curve. But I mean, maybe that's just yeah. me. No, yeah. no, that that's that's a good that's a good point. But as it stands, it's a pretty interestingly well put together random five songs. Yeah. So each of them brings something different to the table. Yeah. But they do somewhat kind of fit together fit together in some ways mm-hmm. yeah i think i'd agree with you i think love you to pieces is my favorite track of the five yes followed by probably the streetlight song mm-hmm. well i guess that wraps this up uh please f- connect with us on social networks uh if you'd like to recommend a song for us to talk about or if you make music you'd like us to talk about or if you just want to say hi to us you can find us on facebook at facebook.com shuffle on twitter at shuffle podcast tumblr shufflepodcast.tumblr.com send us an email at shufflecastpod at gmail.com uh, please check out the post for this episode on jaredscott.com shuffle that's jrdsctt.com slash shuffle and while you're there if you ever feel like buying anything off of amazon.com you could you know click the banner on top of this page and you could help support us while doing your normal shopping you don't have doesn't affect your prices at all just click it shop as normal we get a little kickback everybody wins everybody yeah and also if you ever wanted to hear me and Chance talk about nerdy stuff again, you could check out another podcast run called The Game Cave, which is hosted by our friend John Miller. Mm-hmm. You can find that on SoundCloud.com slash The Game Cave Podcast, where we talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, here are your tracks for the next episode. We have My Way by Nina Simone, The Owl with Knees by The Books, Lives by Modest Mouse, Leviathan by Leathermouth, and to wrap it up, Street Trash by Tobacco. Hmm. So other than that, uh, Chance, thank you very much for being on this. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Is there anything you'd like to plug or say or shout or uh, scream or scat or dance or no, not really. Uh, I would just uh, uh, re re-mention the, the Game Cave because I spend a lot more time talking on that one than I do on this one. Sure. You know, one episode here versus like the, the eight or so that I've been on that one. But uh, I do hope I get to come back soon sometime. Um, Definitely. Yeah. We'll That's... have you back soon. Yay. That's the <laughs> shuffle guarantee. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.